Hello and welcome to the Big 12 Country Podcast, where four guys in jockstrap will be covering college football and providing content and HSOs from around the Big 12. Right, everybody welcome back to the big 12 country podcast i'm your host for the evening Corey, and uh in studio with us we have kendall hello and colin hey guys uh that's all we got with us tonight the rest of us couldn't rest of them couldn't be with us but uh we're gonna finish up our spring review series that we started a couple of months back on june or whatever it was um we finally got somebody to come in and talk kansas football with us so uh on the line with us we got jesse newell from the kansas city star say hi jesse hey how's it going guys uh good good you doing all right yeah, for sure. I, I mean, I can see why uh, football <laughs> might be a little bit tougher to get things uh, talked about just because uh, I, we talked about this a little bit before, but, you know, basketball, it's a little bit easier to find people talk about KU basketball, but KU football, it uh, takes a little bit more dedicated of a reporter, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I feel like there's – I'm hoping, you know, and it depends on how long they can keep beating. I'm kind of hoping maybe that will pick up a little more. People will become a little more interested in Kansas. So you – you know, being in the area, are you kind of feeling a little bit of that, like the base is starting to wake up and realize what's going on? Yeah, it's it's a little bit weird. And, and what's what's kind of crazy about the Kansas program is, you know, a lot of these schools or, or what you would think of as down programs, you know, they've been down for a long time. And, and, you know, it's been decades and generations since the team has been good. I mean, that's that's not really not the case with Kansas. I mean, Kansas was in the 2008 Orange Bowl, which, I mean, it's crazy. You know, it's not – that's not ancient history. That's less than 10 years ago. So uh, for the program to go from that to what it is now in the last few years where they've been, you know, uh, pretty easily the, the worst power five conference school out there. Uh, it's been a pretty, pretty quick fall from grace. But, you know, the thing about David Beatty, I wrote this for my, my big 12 media day story, which is a little bit crazy is that there's been so many positive vibes in the off season yet in the last two years, KU has gone two and 22. And so it's kind of an impressive thing that, that, David Bay's been able to do, uh, and I'm sure we'll talk more about this later, but uh, kind of based off of two things that he's, that, that, that happened with Kansas football that really has brought a lot, brought out a, a lot of uh, uh, excitement and anticipation in the fan base. One of those was uh, obviously the victory over Texas last year, which made national headlines. It's still kind of a running joke on Twitter and, and Facebook. And, you know, with, with Oklahoma fans, they, they love to talk about it, even though their school wasn't involved. And then the second thing is that, uh, David Beatty picked up a bunch of early recruits, a lot of them from the state of Louisiana, which has not been a, a recruiting ground at all for Kansas for a long time, uh, really ever. And at one point, KU's, KU football's recruiting class was ranked second in the nation. And so they just built up a bunch of positive momentum. Now that number has fallen, and there's been some guys that have decommitted since then. But it's kind of the goodwill and the good nature and the positive vibes, all those things that were that were built up a couple months ago when four and five star guys were, were, were committing to Kansas that kind of just lingered on into uh, now, you know, the summer and then starting into the fall. So it is kind of weird that after, you know, a two, an O and 12 season, then a two and 10 season, that David Beatty really kind of has re-energized the fan base. Uh, but that's kind of where, where it's at here in Lawrence, Kansas. Well, and one thing we've tried to get the fans to understand, because, you know, this being a big 12 show, we've tried to get all the fans kind of on board, better understanding all the programs. That's kind of the, the you know purpose behind this the coverage and getting everybody to know what's going on and one thing we tried to get them to understand is just how bad charlie weiss did when it came to getting players 
uh, or not, I guess, necessarily getting players is basically just almost unwillingness to recruit worth of crap um, or do anything positive and, and how far they fell. And then now, you know, getting these kind of players with a program that doesn't have a whole lot to offer on paper at first sight until you sit down with Beattie. Um, it, would you say it's fair to say the players that, you know, they have gotten, even the ones that they decommit, decommitted that they had committed early, would you say that, that it's fair to say these are better quality than even the players they were could have gotten and were getting in the 08, 09 time period? Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, that doesn't mean we know how football works. I mean, a verbal commit doesn't mean anything until they sign on the sheet of paper. Now, you know, they've moved up the early signing period this year, so maybe that'll help Kansas. Maybe some of those guys or one of those guys can get locked in uh, and get in you know, in there early so that they can, can lock them up. But, uh, you know, throughout rivals, uh, you know, they do the top 300. K was never had a top 300 recruit ever in rivals. Oh, wow. And at okay. one point they had, and at one point they had two of them and they still have one in the top 25 right now, Devonte Jason. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting. If you go out and Google, uh, Devonte Jason, you know, he's still getting interest from all the schools you would expect. He's from Louisiana. So LSU is still contacting him, Alabama, all these things. And I don't remember the recruit analyst's name, but there was one guy in particular when they wrote about, uh, Devonte basically just said, "Right now, this kid, this is a unicorn. He's like, I compare it to a unicorn because I've heard they exist, but I've never seen it exist. He's like, if this kid really goes through and signs with Kansas, then I'll believe in unicorns because uh, up until now, something like this has never happened in the history of college football recruiting. So mm-hmm. that's the kind of thing you're talking about. And you know, it, David Beatty's been really smart about this in a couple of things, uh, as you guys probably know." Memorial Stadium is an eyesore. I mean, it's it's the mm-hmm. worst stadium in the conference. It needs to be renovated. Uh, the athletic director, Shane Zenger, actually announced at a booster event last month in Kansas City that uh, they were kind of making tentative plans for a $300 million stadium renovation, yeah. even though uh, those are it's very in the very, very, very early stages to the point where he won't even talk about it publicly mm-hmm. in the media. But what David Beatty did, which was really smart, is not only did he bring in – he brought in Tony Hole, who is – uh, the main assistant who has done the recruiting, he was a, a Louisiana high school coach. And so he's kind of had the contacts down there to bring in these Louisiana kids. But the second thing is they renovated their locker room and made it look really nice. And so the things that they've really focused their money on, they've taken two or $3 million and they've made a, an amazing top of the line, one of the best in the nation locker rooms. And, and that's a place where all the kids are all the time. And that's a place you can recruit to. And that's a place where, you know, you spend 80, 90% of your time. You, you really only play on the field on Saturdays, you know, so he's been smart about it where he's, he's used the money that they do have and he's fixed up the places that, that he can sell to recruits and that players will be in, in most of their time. So uh, it's kind of been that sort of thing for KU to get some of these recruits and not only having the context of Louisiana, feeling comfortable with the coach that a lot of kids know down there, but also kind of spicing up the things uh, that, that don't cost as much, but yet are very, very important when it comes to young kids recruiting and bringing in kids on campus visits to say, wow, this is top of the line at the top of the line and, and where Kansas really can't compete with any other school out there. So that's kind of been part of the buzz that, that's been brought up is that these kids are at least considering Kansas just because they see some of the facilities when they go on their campus visits and they know that those are top of the line, even if some of the other things aren't. Right. You know, one, one thing that we here on the show, we, we've been very high on Beatty and, and kind of the, the, the momentum that Kansas is starting to generate. And, and one thing that really kind of led us to this was watching last season, no matter what the score was on the scoreboard, the kids played hard every single down. No matter, they just kept battling and battling. To me, you know, we haven't seen that out of a Kansas football team in quite a few years. So, you know, it was really refreshing seeing that. Can you kind of talk about him as far as, like, motivating the kids to keep playing and just, you know, down by down? Yeah, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because on Monday at Big 12 Media Days, 
uh, I asked him a question about coming in and, and how much it was kind of in the story too, just basically for Kansas, how important was it? My, my whole story was about kind of the momentum they built in the off season. I mean, they, they go two and 10 last year, they're two and 22 in the last two years, but it still feels like things are heading the right direction. Everybody, the fan base feels that way and the coaches feel that way and the players feel that way. So just how important was it to not have a stigma associated with KU football, you know, not have, guys walk around with their head down. I talked to Joe Deneen, who's a linebacker, and he said when he was a freshman on campus, you know, he played on a Saturday, they got blown out by somebody. He walked into his lecture class on Monday, and the professor starts class by saying, hey, everybody, did you hear the KU football team lost on Saturday? I mean, oh. that's the experience these KU football players were having. I mean, they were the laughing stock, not only of the, you know, of the surrounding area and from K-State fans and the Big 12. I mean, they were the laughing stock on their own campus and the classes they were in. So, to, to go from that to like, hey, they all walk around with their heads held high. They all, you know, take pride in the program and know the recruiting is changing and feel good about the future of the program. You know, how important is that? And David Bates said one of the first things he saw, he said he watched all the KU games when he was at Texas A&M, you know, before he, he applied for the job and said he saw exactly what you were talking about, which was the fourth quarter would come in those blowouts and he didn't see guys trying hard. Right. And he, he said immediately that was one of the things he knew had to be fixed. And so – Again, they, they they talk a lot about the pride of the program. They they you know David Bay's great with pumping up the program. Being I mean, cheerleader is probably the wrong term, but he is very enthusiastic. He's 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 the anti Weiss in that way. Just that that Charlie Weiss didn't have much energy coming into the job, and David Beatty has energy on energy on energy. You know, he'll sell the program to the Uber driver he's talking to. You know, to the the janitor down the hall. I mean, he's he's all about the KU program and selling it and what what there is available in Lawrence. So uh, having that and having Clint Bowen, who used to play for the program, and having a bunch of young, enthusiastic uh, sort of guys. Joe Deneen said, hey, a bunch of the assistants are mini babies. Like, they're all kind of the same way with that sort of energy. I think you do see a difference with that. And I think that's kind of what you're talking about with, you know, even if they're down, even if they're out, those sorts of things, you still see them try hard at the end of games. And you see guys like Joe Deneen or Safety Mike Lee, they're popping guys at the end of games. Uh, You know, they're not giving up easy scores. And so, you know, sometimes you have to – you know, you have to crawl before you walk and walk before you run. And then I think that was one of those important steps for David Beatty to get with the program to to get them to a respectable level and get them to to a place where they were going to play hard every every down, even if the score on the scoreboard wasn't what they wanted. Right. Well, uh, kind of staying in the off season here. One of the you were talking about the momentum from the from the off season. One of the big things that I think is good for for KU football going into this season is the hiring of Doug Meacham. Can you kind of talk about what the hiring of Meacham means to the KU offense? Yeah, I mean, it's it's crazy because there was an SI.com list of the best assistant coach hires of the offseason, and Doug Meacham was second on that list. I mean, that, that, those are the sorts of lists that KU doesn't usually show up on. That's kind of national attention, and you saw ESPN wrote a national article on it, SI wrote a national article on it, uh, and Meacham has had so much success as co-offensive coordinator at TCU. I mean, it's it's still one of those things where you're kind of not sure because KU, if you go back in time, you know, I'd have to pull up the exact stat here. I think that they have been worst in scoring offense in the Big 12 for seven straight years. Wow. Uh, yeah, that's right. Seven straight years they've been last in the Big 12 in scoring. They've averaged fewer than 23 points in each of the last seven years. And last year they averaged 20.3 points, which was 120th out of 128 teams. So you're talking about an offense here. I, I always tell people this isn't about going – becoming a good offense this is about becoming a not horrible offense i mean they got to go from horrible to to just not so bad and not only were they not able to move the ball last year 
they were the worst team in the nation for most of the season when it came to turnovers and interceptions and fumbles and all those sorts of things, self-inflicted mistakes, which, you know, the coaching staff emphasized quite a bit, which, which made it even more frustrating for them. So yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. Doug Meacham. I mean, from all indications, this seems like a dream hire for Kansas. And not only that, you know, David Bay, I talked about all the great qualities he has. He's a great recruiter. He's a great face for the program. He's enthusiastic. He gets his guys ready to play all those sorts of things. Uh, last year he met a little bit and, uh, last year, he took over offensive coordinator. Uh, he took over play-calling duties from offensive coordinator, uh, the offensive coordinator that was in there, Rob Likens. Rob Likens moved on to Arizona State. So uh, when KU had problems with punt returns early in the year, David Bay took over as the punt returner coach. And so all those things, kind of him meddling in these little things when he still has to be the head coach and do all those things, there's only so many hours in a day, and, and you have to trust your guys and delegate to them. And i got to be honest with you. You know, the reason David Beatty, I have to assume, was hired at Kansas – was for that energy, was to be the face of the program, was to lead not only his players, but lead the assistants and kind of be the, the head person in charge of that and not really to be an offensive coordinator. And so, you know, if you're going to ask me what one of the best things that could have happened this offseason for Kansas, I would have told you if David Beatty would have relinquished the offensive coordinating duties and given it to somebody who could be in charge who's had some success. And wouldn't you know it? I mean, that's exactly what happened. So, again, you'll, we'll see what happens. It, you know, Kansas has a weird way of taking, you know, you know, really top five-star quarterback recruits, transfers they get in like Dane Chris and Jake Heaps, and, and they don't have any success. You think they're going to buck, buck the trend or break the mold and it doesn't happen. So, again, I guess we'll see. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll wait until I see it with Doug Meacham, but he's had so much success at TCU that you would think that this is going to be something that has a very good chance of working out well for Kansas. Right. Well, we'll stay on the, uh, the transfer trend. At, at quarterback, you have uh, Peyton Bender coming in from JUCO, obviously started off at Washington State, and with the – transfers of Willis and Kozart, you're basically coming back with Carter Stanley as a kind of the incumbent quarterback. Do you see Bender kind of overtaking that job and starting in the fall? Yeah, absolutely. And here's the thing with David Bay, the, the, the number one thing he talks about is earn it. It's like the hashtag he puts on every one of his tweets. And that's kind of the program he wants to build. He wants to build competition up. He wants everybody to not think that they've gotten a job, all those sorts of things. You know, a competition makes everybody better. You hear iron sharpens iron. You hear all those sorts of things, all those cliche terms a lot um but the fact of the matter is they wouldn't have gotten gone out and got in juco quarterback if they didn't want him to start and here's the thing about carter stanley i mean it's, it's a credit to him he was a guy that rob likens the old offensive coordinator kind of found on a whim very late in the process i think his only other division one offer was uconn at the time and that's not you know i think there's one double a still if I, if I remember right if they haven't moved on up so again he had, had really only low level offers and he came in and uh, he sparked kansas last year i mean the thing about him was just positive energy Again, a good energy in the huddle. He was making quick decisions and wasn't turning it over as much as the guys that were ahead of him before. And so uh, the thing about him, though, he doesn't have all the physical tools. He doesn't have the greatest arm. He doesn't have a quick release. And he's kind of one of those, you know, you hear the term all the time, gamer. And and sometimes gamer can be a good thing. You know, he can make plays outside the pocket. He can kind of improvise on the fly. He can get you some yards maybe when you don't think he can running-wise. But gamer can also have a negative connotation, which is basically – you don't have the arm to, to stick in the pocket and just kind of make every throw that needs to be made. So that's why they brought in Peyton Bender. You'll hear David Bay say over and over again about how quick his release is, uh, how accurate he is, how strong of an arm he has. He briefly played uh, under Mike Leach at Washington State, uh, you know, started a couple games there, and then he transferred away to uh, – to- I had a Wumba uh, Community College and then uh, chose Kansas after that. He had some other offers, too. Uh, I believe Georgia got in on him late, and he stuck with his Kansas commit. But, you know, the thing about him, as I again, I don't think Kansas brings him in if they don't want him to be the starter. So nothing officially announced yet. I wouldn't expect them to announce it until a couple weeks into camp. But 
I would be shocked if Peyton Bender's not the guy for them starting off. And, and yet, I still think they feel good about their backup situation because, as we know, in college football today, your backup's going to play almost every single year, and I think they right. feel comfortable with Carter Stanley in that role. Right. Well, I, I covered Kansas last year for us. We, we have a new guy on it at, at this point. But i got to tell you, man, I, I'm really excited about the receiving core that they're bringing in this year too with Luquiviante Gonzalez, Steve Sins, and the uh, Bama transfer. I believe it's Dalen Charlotte. You can uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, that pronounce yeah it. Dalen Charlotte. Yeah, yeah. Charlotte. Okay, man. They uh, Gonzalez obviously is just really, really quick. Uh, Sims, great possession receiver and, and big plays as well. Um, are, are you expecting big things from this group? As kind of I am this year. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, you, know, I talked about the offensive woes with KU uh, before last season. KU didn't have a 600-yard receiver since 2009. Uh, to put that in context, the previous season, Oklahoma State had three 600-yard receivers the same season. Uh, so receiver has kind of been a black hole for Kansas for a long time. And so that's what you saw uh, Stephen Sims really emerging as the number one guy last year. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd have to look up his yardage here. But the thing about him was he was forced into action as a true freshman and wasn't great that year. But kind of they had to play him just because, you know, they had nobody else. But last year, 72 catches, 859 yards, seven touchdowns. Really a deep play threat for Kansas. He doesn't have great size. He's about as tall as I am, so 5'8", five, 5'9", five, that range, but really good speed. Uh, you talked about Dalen Charlotte. I mean, a transfer from Alabama. Again, some of the things that you, you don't usually talk about with Kansas football is getting transfers from Alabama. And so uh, it seems like more of a possession guy, a guy that can snatch the ball out of the year, air, really good at going and getting the ball, a good route runner, strong, that sort of thing. Not not the best speed on the team, but but good, good enough speed, that sort of thing. And so, you know, a lot of people are excited about him. And then you know, Lequiviante Gonzalez is kind of an interesting character because I think that there are a lot, you know, he was a big boost for Kansas last year. I talked about no 600-yard receivers. He had 700, 729 receiving yards last year, too. So he was more productive in that position than a lot of guys that they've had before. He just kind of got a little bit of a negative uh, reputation just because he was so poor in the punt return game, the kick return game. He could not handle the football. He couldn't catch it. He couldn't hold on to it. He had a bunch of fumbles in that. He actually ended the season with negative punt return yardage. Uh, and, and I, again, I, I don't know. It's amazing that that can happen in today's college football. <laughs> and again, that was a position that David Bay took over after two games in the season to try to make it better. But uh, I looked it up, and on, on Twitter they had it. Uh, Pro Football Focus talked about the Big 12 and guys breaking tackles and the leaders in, leaders in broken tackles. And Kubiante Gonzalez led the Big 12 in broken tackles last year from a receiver. So he's got some playmaking ability. He's a guy, if you get him in some space, he can juke, he can, he can dive, he can get around guys, those sorts of things. So I, I absolutely agree with you. At a receiver position, they've never had this good of depth, and they've never had this good of talent, at least going back to the Orange Bowl team back in 2007, 2008. So there's a lot to be excited about there, along with some of the young guys. And uh, that really gives you some optimism if you're a KU fan looking at it, especially with Doug Meacham coming in with all the success he's had at TCU with an air raid offense. Definitely. You know, one of the big helps to a to an awesome pass game is, is the run game. And they brought in uh, uh, Octavius um, Octavius Matthews. Can you talk a little bit about him and, and kind of what you're projecting with him this year? Yeah, it was kind of weird. He was a guy that wasn't expected. He was kind of a signing day surprise, if you will. And uh, he was the number one recruit that they brought in. And he actually was Juco teammates with Peyton Bender at Itawamba. Uh, community college. I don't know if I'm saying that right or not down there in Mississippi, but I think he was part of the reason he wanted to, to get in there. And, you know, this is the kind of thing that KU can sell uh, to a, to a Juco guy is basically like, Hey, um, you know, you're going to play, you're going to come in right away. And so what you see with him and David Bay talked about this at signing day is uh, 
basically a guy that they can play at both receiver and running back. Can catch the ball in the backfield, can be creative, they can split him out, put him in motion, uh, those sorts of things. And so, yeah, if he shows up and, and can be that sort of playmaker for Kansas, just gives you another weapon and a, kind of some versatility as well. Uh, and then, you know, as far as the recruiting class goes, you know, they were they were able to pick up a couple guys because uh, their second uh, the second guy they got, I'm going to pull up his name right here. Uh, last Dom, name is Dom Williams. Dom Williams. Yeah, I was going to say it was Williams. I was going to make sure. I was thinking Dorrance. Obviously, Dorrance Armstrong is another guy for them. But, yeah, Dom Williams, a kid from Texas who finished top 10 all-time in career rushing yards in Texas high school's football history. And so he was a guy that committed to KU uh, his junior year, and same thing happened. Everybody comes after him. Everybody wants him to, to go elsewhere, and he just stuck with his commitment. So that's another guy very early on, uh, you know, could get some carries. Uh, you know, David Bay loves Khalil Herbert. He started game one as a true freshman last year for Kansas. So they like his talent uh, as well. And then Taylor Martin has really, really, he's probably the fastest guy on the team. Great straight line speed. Uh, hasn't been able to, to juke that much or, or, you know, be great in the system just yet. But I think they have high hopes for him just because of the natural talent that he has. So uh, we'll see with the running back position. I mean, I think more unknowns there than the, the, the wide receiver position. Uh, but again, enough potential there to where you could see it, it would work out for Kansas and they would kind of have some some weapons to go to if they wanted to, uh, to to have some depth and also have some guys that they could uh, get out get, get out there in space and, and show off their speed. Yeah, I, I got to say the the Matthew signing and Dom Williams, to me that was kind of the the start of Kansas's recruiting cycle going into the 2018 class because, like you said, Matthews was a surprise. I think he was actually, at, at one point, I believe Auburn was kind of favored to get him and then he ended yep. up signing with Kansas. And then we were really high on Dom Williams all towards the end of, of National Signing Day. I was concerned that he would go elsewhere, but, you know, that, that was a big pickup to me. But to me, with, with those guys and then just the way that the recruiting class for 2018 started, I think it kind of all starts there. Yeah, and again, the 2018 thing is just so up in the air. You just don't right. know. I mean, honestly, again, if you got David Beatty in an honest moment, I don't know what he would say would be a success. I mean, he said at Big 12 Media Days they don't recruit those guys and they don't think they're going to get him. So, in other words, you know, you don't just recruit those guys to build up positive momentum and then have them leave and leave you in a lurch uh, with, with a bunch of scholarships left over. But it's also true that one time uh, uh, they had a four-star guy from Louisiana. He decommitted. And the very same day, uh, the second-ranked player in Missouri committed to Kansas uh, and kind of took that open spot. So it is kind of interesting how this has happened. Again, not only has it built up some momentum with the fan base, but it seems like you know once you get some guys to say, hey, I'm interested in Kansas, yeah, Kansas is a good place, yeah, and you see it on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, what, you know, all the, what all those kids are reading, you kind of start to convince people that there's something building there. And so, well, again, we'll see what that 2018 recruiting class. I don't know where he's going to end up. I mean, I think they were 28th. Uh, in rivals rankings last time I checked, which still would be really high for Kansas. But, again, will Devontae Jason stay as a five-star? Will he be the unicorn that has never happened? I don't know. I mean, probably not. But if KU gets a couple of those Louisiana guys to stick and, and play with their uh, high school teammate, Mike Lee, who was a, a freshman All-American last year at safety for Kansas, you know, you could consider it a really good recruiting class. And, again, a step in the positive direction, especially if they can get a pipeline down there to Louisiana where so much talent really doesn't usually leave the state. Um, they returned four starters on the offensive line. You guys picked up the another Bama transfer, Charles Baldwin. Um, do they feel like he can fill that fifth spot? And if so, how good can this line be, you think, returning 74 starts? Yeah, that's been a huge, huge weakness for Kansas. And, um, you know, the thing about the offensive line is just KU the last two years has had so much inexperience there. I mean, you look at a kid like Hakeem Adeniji, who, I mean, he's, 
he's a player if you talk to anybody in the league, and he could be in line for all conference honors if he continues his growth. But he came to campus. He actually had a cashew allergy. He was supposed to get an Air Force and had a cashew allergy. They wouldn't let him in Air Force. So at last minute, he comes to Kansas, checks in there about 265 pounds in the middle of the summer, and he's their game one starter at right tackle, and by game three or game four, moves over to left tackle. I mean, that's playing Big 12 at 265 pounds. And so now he's <laughs> you know, 290, 295, can add a little bit of weight, maybe can hold those guys off a little bit better. But you're right. You know, Zach Yenser, it's kind of crazy. He was uh, the offensive uh, line coach for Kansas. He was at Cal a few years back, and they did the same thing. They basically came in, didn't have much they could do, didn't have any numbers. He basically just started a bunch of freshmen, and he's talked to me about it a lot, and he said, those guys, those kids grew up. And they figure out what to do. And by year three, they all were together and cohesive and big. And that was when Cal really started his turnaround. And so now you're looking at Kansas, and, yeah, you're going down the line. You know, Akeem Adenogy as a sophomore should be better. And Jason Rhodes has experience. And, and Mesa Ryberty, another guy, they pulled out of basically nowhere. Lewisburg, Kansas, who was originally a walk-on. But he's, he's a sophomore, and he started every game last year. And then, uh, you know, Larry Hughes, you talk about Charles Baldwin. I, I don't know what to expect from him. Um, you know, they've said good things about him, but we haven't seen him on first-team reps, uh, at least of the last practices that we saw in the spring. So, you know, who knows with that? But, I mean, they even have other depth. You know, Jacob Bragg has played. Antoine Frazier's played. Cam Durley's played. And, you know, you're going from a team that when this staff first showed up had, you know, didn't have enough bodies to go too deep at the offensive line to a team where now you feel comfortable with a too deep in there and, and really comfortable with the starters that are starting to gain some cohesion. So, yeah, that's a huge, huge deal for Kansas. And, again, you can't undersell it. It might be the biggest deal for Kansas going up uh, this this next season just because we know how important that line is. And if, if the quarterback that has no time to throw and the running backs have no lanes to run through, uh, you can see Big 12 teams and the top elite teams separate themselves very quickly. And so the hope is that for year, year three for Kansas, that, that KU's offensive line becomes much closer to a Big 12 level. All right, now, now switching over to the defense side of the ball. To me, one of the, the – the bright spots or potential bright spots this year is definitely the defensive line. I feel like they, they really could make great strides this year and, and help, you know, project, you know, propel uh, Kansas into winning some ball games this year. Can you just kind of talk about the guys up front and, and kind of what you're hearing and, and kind of a little bit, how, how, how good is our death behind the four they have starting there? Yeah. I mean, well, you got to start first. I mean, we'd be remiss. If we didn't talk about Dorrance Armstrong. Right. Uh, he voted the, preseason big 12 defensive player of the year and again you want to talk about things that kansas does not usually have is since the big 12 started he's never had it they've never had the, the preseason big 12 player of the year but last year you know he was kind of neck and neck him and k-state's jordan willis for that honor and then jordan willis outplayed him in that final game that ku had at k-state and, and very well deserving you know jordan willis gets drafted high and all those sorts of things but you know dorance it's kind of a crazy story in the preseason last year they had a scary freak injury he's Klee got caught, and uh, at least according to Coach David Beatty, he had a partially torn ACL, and they basically just kind of rehabbed the muscles around it, and he was timid at first, and so you didn't really see him turn it on until the second or third game. They also kind of had him in a, a stand-up role, kind of Vaughn Miller, where he's going up and down the line in different places, and he wasn't really comfortable at the first, so they moved him over just to an edge rusher, and man, he just completely took off, and then they started tinkering with that stand-up role a little bit late in the season again, and he was good at that late in the season, so... 10 sacks last year. I mean, everything really starts with him. And and not only that, not, he kind of took some of the headlines away from Daniel Wise. And Daniel Wise was mm-hmm. uh, pro football focus, all Big 12 first team last year. Kind of a you know a guy in the middle that, that took up a bunch of defenders and made a lot of tackles for losses that maybe didn't get the, the headlines that some of the other guys did. But, you know, you mentioned that those guys should make it a lot easier for the other players. And so 
you know, they have high hopes for, for some of the guys coming in. You know, Willie McCaleb is a guy, that, a Juco transfer coming in. Isaiah Bean, they, they played as a true freshman, a really athletic kid who, you know, they, they think could be a good edge rusher. Uh, Josh Ahambe had a great spring game. I believe it was four sacks in the spring game. And, you know, they're excited about maybe what he can do. And then, you know, DeIsaac Davis, he was a local kid from Wichita who was kind of a, a space taker up in the middle uh, last year and gave them some stability in that position, hoping kind of for the same things there uh, if you want a two-gap, those sorts of things. So, yeah, you know, for Kansas, it's going to start with Dorrance on the defensive end and getting pressure and, and Daniel Wise and, and kind of those guys being themselves and then hoping that one or two of those other guys emerge because they should have single teams all day. They should be able to get to the quarterback if if they're able to do it. KU didn't have that guy last year, so it'll be very important for them to get, the, get that guy this year. And uh, whether we mention it here later or not, uh, the biggest question mark for Kansas defense is the secondary. I mean, they basically lost everyone except for Mike Lee, who was a freshman All-American uh, at safety. And so that's the one place where you really don't want to have an experience, and KU's going to have a bunch of inexperience on the back end. Right, and staying on the defensive side here, I also have concerns about linebackers. I mean, you got guys lost a lot there as well. I mean, Joe Deneen's coming back, but the, let's see here. It says 27 of the unit's 36 starts are gone now. Do you have concerns with linebacker, or are there guys on, on campus right now that are going to be able to contribute and pick up the slack from last year? Well, probably less concern at linebacker for a couple reasons. For one, you know, Joe Deneen was kind of on a track to be – um, you know, not an all Big 12 first teamer, but probably somewhere in the honorable mention line. And then he had an injury last year that ended his season. Um, so that that's for him. That's he's back. He's healthy. He's going to, you know, redshirt junior now. Uh, I think he'll be just fine as long as he can stay healthy and, and has the athleticism to do that. You know, Keith Loniker stepped in last year. And it's funny. He was uh, high school teammates with with Joe Deneen at Free State. So they basically Free State as a high school here in Lawrence. I'm about 100 feet from it right now. But uh, so those guys basically played together there at, at, in high school, and now they're playing together at Kansas. Uh, he, you know, is getting bigger, stronger, kind of more growing into the role. And uh, I saw a, a pro football focus stat last year. I think he had the fewest or it was something like he had the fewest uh, missed tackles of any player percentage-wise, something like that. So kind of a sure tackler. And there were some games where he had a bunch of tackles for, for KU in there. So the other thing about their scheme is, uh, they, they play the nickel a lot in there. So it's usually just a rotation of two guys, and then they want to rotate. You need to get more than, than two linebackers in there. Uh, so they're going to you know, rely on you know, Denzel Feaster and Osaz Ogbevor, that sort of thing, uh, some of the depth that they need to develop. But, again, if you can limit it to two guys and you feel pretty good about the first two in there, which uh, Loniker played a bunch last year and Joe Deneen is a guy they expect a lot of this year, then maybe that can be uh, not as much of a concern uh, especially considering the secondary and, and all the pieces they lost last year. Right. Well, we'll stay on the secondary. Obviously, you, you lose uh, Fish Smithson. Um, I mean, Mike Lee, I, I was telling the, oh, yeah. the guys the other day, if, if I had had a vote for the All-Big 12 team, he's my first one of my first team safeties. The guy was just absolutely amazing last year with, with the big hits and the big plays that he had. You mentioned you were concerned there. Who who have they brought on, or who's going to be able to step up? That was a, maybe a backup last year to step in and fill some some of that production. Yeah, absolutely. And Mike Lee, I mean, he should be better too. Uh, he came in as a true freshman. He should have been a high school senior. Uh, but again, I talked about Tony Hull and Louisiana connections. He uh, brought in Mike Lee. They kind of snuck him on campus, and he did all that as a uh, as an eighteen year old. Basically, uh, when I talked to him in spring football practices, he told me the next week he was going back. 
to his high school prom. That was after he already earned <laughs> freshman All-American honors in college. So uh, that's kind of crazy. And, you know, David Beatty will tell you, a lot of the hits he made, I mean, he's a huge hit guy. He's not very big. You know, 5'9", 185, just throws his body around. But a lot of times he was just following the guy in front of him, and he didn't really know where he was going. But he just has the athleticism and the instincts. So he was able to kind of play on that. The more he learns about football, the better he's going to be. But, you know, the one guy that to look for this year, I think, at cornerback, the guy by the name of Hassan Defense. Yes, D-E-F-E-N-S-E. So <laughs> Hassan Defense, perfect name for a cornerback. But he's a Juco transfer, and basically from uh, the day he stepped on campus, he's been a guy that they've talked up. Uh, KU football for their spring game kind of had a little draft between coaches, and I think he was the fourth or fifth pick in that draft, which lets you, let you know how high the coaches are on him. Uh, so he's going to have big things expected of him, and they hope that you know he can step in right away. Kyle Mayberry is a guy. He was a highly rated recruit the year before in their recruiting class. Didn't really see much action last year. He didn't redshirt, but he got out there a little bit. But maybe he didn't play as much as he wanted. But he's going to be relied upon big time uh, this year. And then Tyrone Miller is a guy that played some quarterback for him last year, and they moved him to safety. Uh, he's going to be a starter basically for them unless something goes wrong. And uh, you want you want to have depth there. And I don't know that KU has a bunch of depth there. You know, they Bryce Tornane's another kid from Free State here in Lawrence that uh, they like and that can fill in both safety and cornerback and nickelback, kind of you know go between those positions, but. Uh, you know, I I don't even think it's a secret. The biggest concern for this KU team, and, and you'll get the coaches to say it, is the secondary, and you know why. I mean, you've seen these right. big-called passing offenses. If you can't cover these guys, you're going to be in big trouble, and that, I think that's the biggest fear for KU going into next season. Well, well, well you brought you brought up uh, the punt return game, and you talked about you know, how Speedy Gonzalez was having trouble back there. What are the plans going forward this year as far as uh, in the punt return game? Yeah, it's it's early to tell right now. We haven't seen him in practice yet. I would have to assume uh, Jalen Charlotte would be a guy that they would put back there just based off reputation and, and kind of the things that he can do. But, again, we'll see. I mean, they need better answers than, the, than what they had last year. And, uh, you know, David Bates relinquished that. So, I, I mean, I think that's good that he just kind of remains uh, as the coach and oversees what, what he needs to oversee. But, yeah, we'll see. I, again, I, I would expect Charlotte would be the guy for KU to give him another opportunity to, to be a playmaker. But, you know, there's other guys out there, too. You know, Steven Sims, and we, we've seen in college football, the punt return game isn't as big as it used to be just because some of the spread punt formations and team, things that teams are doing. But you can't have negative 19 return yards or whatever it was last year, the, maybe the worst mark in NCAA history. I think it only goes back 20 years, but it was the worst mark I'd ever seen, uh, at least in the records that I could find. You, you can't have that. you got to at least go forward or catch it and stumble a few yards ahead, and, and KU just needs to be not horrible in that area like it was a season ago. Uh, do you guys have a, uh, an answer to replace the kicker, Wyman? Uh, yeah, coming in, they have a guy, Liam Jones, that they really like. And, again, true freshman, so you don't know, but uh, they had to address that position. And, uh, you know, Wyman had a huge leg. It was great on kickoffs, but just field goals. They've had so many problems. You know, he was a kid that actually came – he came from a walk-on tryout. <laughs> you know, he, he was in the stands for a game. Looked out with what he saw and said, hey, I can do better than that, and came out and tried out and was on the team and was the starter for you know a few years there. But, you know, they're they're hoping for better things from him. Um, they're hoping that he can be better. But uh, we'll see. You know, a true freshman coming in, and they're hoping, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and, and they're, they're really secretive about this sort of thing, but I believe that they gave him a scholarship. And that's kind of when you know with kickers that if you're really trying to address the position, you give a scholarship because you want it taken care of and uh, again, they're kind of pinning their hopes on him and hoping that he can take care of that that part of the game for them. Right. Well, uh, I think that's pretty much wrapping up on the the team part. But not not to put you on the spot here or anything. But what are you kind of what are you kind of foreseeing for record this year? If, if you had to put a put a guess out there. 
Yeah, it's again, it's it's crazy to talk about because of what's happened so recently for Kansas. Uh, I've seen the Vegas lines have either been two and a half or three wins. I, I think you know they went from they went from zero in Betty's first year to two last year. I think three would be basically the fan base would be like, okay, you know what I mean? Like, okay, that's all right. Like that's that's not super progress, but that's that's fine. I think four wins. And it sounds weird to say. I mean, everybody, everybody I say this to and thinks I'm nuts, but I think four wins would be a huge, huge win for Kansas, and, and people would be very excited about that. But you look at their schedule and their non-con schedule. They start with, with Southeast Missouri State at home. Should be a win. Central Michigan at home. Again, you just don't know. Okay, you lost at home to Ohio last year, and then the third game is at Ohio, which, again, if you lost to them at home last year, it's going to be a tough game to go on the road there. Not to mention – the craziest stat of all for Kansas, which is KU has not won a road football game since 2009. That's crazy. 2009. Wow. iPads were not invented yet. <laughs> so we're talking about KU has not won a road game since iPads. So, wow. I mean, that is one of the craziest things. So, again, when you're talking about big dreams, and, and again, I sound big dreams, I'm, it sounds weird to say four wins is big dreams. But again, if you're going to get to four wins, you probably got to win a road game. You know what I mean? And that's not something that's happened in what's this now? Seven years going on eight years. It's if you go back in the college football reference record books, it's the second longest division one streak ever for a road losing streak. Second to Western state is from like 1920 to 1929. So a team that's not even in division one anymore. So again, if if you're, if you're putting me on the spot right now, I would say, I think the safe bet is three. I, you know, I think that they probably take care of Southeast Missouri state. They take care of uh, Central Michigan at home. And then, again, you wouldn't expect them to beat Texas, but maybe they pull off one of those games in the Big 12. I mean, I don't know which one it would be. I can't tell you right now what it would be, but you get a chance against everybody. You get, you know, Maybe you're 20% to beat Iowa State and you're 10% to beat uh, you know, Texas Tech and you're 15% to beat West Virginia. You, know, you add them all up, maybe one of those games, everything falls your way and you win. So I'll put them at three, and again, I think that the fan base would – would not be getting the pitchforks out for that, but I think they would see that as another step for the program. They wouldn't be giddy about it, but they would at least kind of be willing to see this out and expect maybe five or six wins the next year under David Beatty. Well, I mean, anytime you're doubling your win total, I mean, I know four doesn't sound like a lot, but anytime you're doubling your win total, people have to be happy about that as progress. Um, And as far as the Big 12 game, honestly, I think they got a really good shot at beating Tech coming off the bye. Um, we all, I mean, all of us, I think it's fair to say, I don't know if we've said this on the show yet or not, cause we haven't done our previews or not probably picking them to finish last. Uh, we all think there's a good shot. They could be better in tech and beat them. So, I mean, I, that's just our opinion on it. Uh, that to me, if I was looking for a big 12 game, that'd be the one I would look to first. Yeah. I have yeah. It, yeah. And it's uh, it's case schedule is kind of crazy too, because you look at the first six games, home, Southeast Missouri state, home, central Michigan at Ohio home West Virginia, home Texas Tech at Iowa State. So, I mean, those first six games, it's kind of like, well, you know, the, you, you should have a shot in those. And then the last half of the schedule is like, oh, boy. You know what I mean? <laughs> uh, basically, the rest of the conference, lots of road games, all those sorts of things. So, uh, if KU's going to pick a time to be good, I mean, it, the, the time to be good would be early because they would have a chance to pick off three or four of those if, if they played well. But it, just so much is unknown. And, again, it's – it's, it, I kind of compare it to KU basketball. You know, everybody picks KU basketball to win the Big 12 because every year you see it, they win the Big 12 every year. They've won it 13 straight years. So until something different happens, you're going to pick it. You know, KU football has been so bad for so long, and they finished in last place for so many years in a row. It's just – it's almost hard, with all, even with all the positive things that have happened, to envision a scenario where they don't finish in last 
until you see it happen. So, again, it's just, it's just like David Bay's mantra, earn it. Uh, KU's got, KU knows it was going to be picked last. They knew that was going to happen. So they got to go out there and earn it, and this is the season where they've got a potential, you would think, roster-wise, coaching-wise, all those things, to go out there and maybe surprise a team or two. Absolutely. Yeah, looking at their schedule, I think it's fair to say if they're going to reach their win total, they're probably going to do it by mid-October because it's going to be tough for them to beat Kansas State. They do get them at home, and that game is you know, a pretty nasty rivalry, as we've learned since we've started this. Uh, honestly, when we started this thing, we had no idea how nasty that rivalry can be, but we've we really discovered th- those two fan bases go at it pretty good. <laughs> but uh, then you got Baylor, Texas, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State after that. So, yeah, I think it's probably fair to say if they're going to reach their win total, they'll do it by mid-October. But fair to say also that I think we may shoot to go to the Kansas-Kansas State game this year. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, that's yeah, what we were looking for a road game to go to. That may be the one. Uh, well, yeah, and you're right about the rivalry. It, it's it's pretty intense, and, and the funny thing is it's kind of intense without either football or basketball being on the same level recently. You know what I mean? Like Bruce Weber's programs have been okay, and they've beaten KU every once in a while, but, you know, K-State hasn't been elite, elite. You know, it's you look at KU-Missouri a few years back where, where you know, KU football and Missouri football were both in the top five for that one game. And then mm-hmm. in basketball the next year, they were both top two seeds in the tournament. Both were really good. You know, that, that really kind of fuels the rivalry sometimes. But KUK State continues to go on even when these two the two programs, both in football and basketball, kind of have, have headed in, in opposite directions. And uh, even with KU playing that game at home, man, I've seen enough KUK State beatdowns by K-State to uh, to not think that KU has a great chance in that game. Again, until, until I see something differently from <laughs> KU. Sure. Um, what, what kind of expectations do you think you've got for them against TCU? I mean, do you have a good pulse? Because that, that's another game that, you know, TCU has a shot to be pretty good, but then at the same time, you know, there's a lot of people. I feel like people are all over the place on TCU. Where are you at on them? Do you have any idea? Not really. And the weird thing about Kansas is if you go back in their history, they've played TCU within a possession, basically, or down to the fourth quarter four years in a row. Uh, and I, I, there's just – I don't know how to explain it, and I don't know if anybody knows how to explain it, but KU always plays CCU close. I mean, when TCU comes into Kansas, it seems like they're always really cold and they sleepwalk through it. And then a couple years ago, you know, KU had the ball driving, I believe it was down six at TCU with a chance to win it when that team was just stacked. And and, and KU had nothing going for it that year. So, uh, I mean, I don't I don't know exactly what it is. It could be some of the KU coaching ties. Kenny Perry, the cornerbacks uh, coach for Kansas, used to be at TCU. Uh, you know, Clint Bowen seems to have a pretty good idea of what TCU does on offense. Uh, you know, uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't I don't know exactly what the secret formula is. But for, for Kansas, they have they've played him close again at TCU. That's going to be tough. And if I, I wouldn't expect anything but a, a three or four possession game again in that one, just based on how good the two teams are. But for whatever reason, TCU has just had a dickens of a time with Kansas, but still somehow uh, is able to pull out in the fourth quarter and win those games. And uh, uh, you can ask Gary Patterson, be the first to tell you that that game they can't. They can't get excited for that game for whatever reason, so Kansas always seems to give them problems. Um, real quickly, is one more thing, and I'll, I'll we'll let you go. Uh, Memorial Stadium, we haven't really seen it, you know, real full and crazy, other than maybe that one season. Um, what kind of, and I know it's not the best facilities in the way it's built and everything, but what kind of home field advantage can that place provide, if any, without updates? Like if they started getting hot, you know, and and, and people did start showing up to the game, does it provide any kind of help? you know, on a home field advantage or anything? Well, I mean, yeah, the Orange Bowl year, it was, I mean, there were sellouts, and it was a real, it was a real thing. I mean, KU football was the buzz, and everybody was going to it, and it was popular, and, you know, that's the thing around here, uh, and 
it's it's hard to explain to people that uh, you know come from football schools or cover football schools just how Lawrence is. I mean, KU basketball is the show in town. Like, there's no Kansas City pro sports team after the Chiefs are done. So from January to March, like the whole area revolves around KU basketball. And so, you know, KU fans really are okay if football provides a one to two month distraction to get them to late night in the fog. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that, that's okay. I mean, that's not horrible for them, but at the same time, if there's something to be excited about, KU fans will show up. I mean, they'll, they'll be there. They did for the orange bowl year. Now, you know, it hasn't happened lately. I mean, you talk about home, home field advantage. The first thing that popped in my mind is I, I wanted to ask you was, well, it depends on which team they're playing because, you know, if they play K-State, it's a great home court advantage or home field advantage for K-State. You know, yeah. if, if they play Oklahoma, then Oklahoma's fans you know, yeah, come up there true. and cheer real loud. That's mm-hmm. sort of thing. I mean, about the only home field thing that, that KU can point to is sometimes it is really cold in those games. And mm-hmm. a lot of KU's games are 11 a.m. games because uh, TV doesn't want it. So, yeah, the fans will show up if they win. And so it's kind of a chicken of the egg thing right now with, with Kansas football. Again, they've built some positive momentum. People are optimistic, but – you know, if KU starts off one and three, it'll be basketball season again. So uh, it's it's kind of just in that that revolving pattern where one thing has to happen, so the other thing happens, but one of those has to break the cycle first. So it's on David Bay and the KU football team to get some wins and get some momentum built up early, so the fans will show up later. And and there hasn't been any rumors at all on what the the building will be on on the facilities that are upgrading. Are they? Yeah, I'm sure they're going to do something to Memorial Stadium, but you guys aren't hearing anything yet on what they might do. Well, like I said, uh, Shane Zanger talked to about it at a meet and greet in Kansas City. Afterwards, we went up to him to talk about it. He said, oh, can't release these plans. are going to be released in September. Uh, he did talk about a practice facility, which would go up first, an indoor practice facility. KU football doesn't have that yet, which is you know crazy to think about in today's age of college football. I can't imagine there's many facilities or many programs out there that don't have an indoor practice facility, especially when you're talking about a Power 5 program. KU does have Anschutz Pavilion, but it's not made for football it's kind of like a track indoor facility that they use mm-hmm. when they have to so that'll be the first thing done and um the, the the challenge of memorial stadium is that it is this big coliseum type structure that needs a lot of renovations you can't really open it up because of the way it was built and it's a world war one memorial so it's like you don't want to tear it down and rebuild mm-hmm. because there are people that put an effort to make that something that paid tribute to you know the military and, and all those sorts of things so it's kind of a tenuous topic when it comes to that because KU's going to have to really – I mean, 300 million will buy you a nice stadium. I think that's about what Baylor's stadium yeah. costs, which is state-of-the-line, yeah. um, you know, state-of-the-art, that sort of thing. Also, KU's campus is, is situated where if you look from one direction, the campus you can kind of see in the background, it's a great spot for the stadium. Like, it's, it's a great view of campus and kind of one of the picturesque places. It's just the stadium is a dump. So uh, it's going to be complicated. It's going to be – it's going to be – something that's going to take a few years and it's going to take a lot of money and a lot of donors that haven't stepped up yet. But again, that's why it's so important for K to build some football momentum to get people to open up the pocketbooks, to get this thing rolling. Because as of right now, those are, those are great plans. Those are great dreams, but uh, they're very much in the planning stages because you can say 300 million, but until that money's in the bank, uh, nothing's going to happen. Well, that sounds pretty good. It answers all my questions. You guys got anything else for him? No, oh, just uh, other. Maybe he just tell us where, where uh, the fans can find you. Yeah, where uh, where's your you know, Twitter handles or anything else you want to put out there so everybody can find you and follow you? Yeah, uh, sure. Jesse Newell uh, on Twitter. Just add Jesse Newell. Uh, you can follow me there. Uh, Kansas City Stars, KansasCity.com. If you want to follow any KU basketball coverage, and then uh, uh, I, I won't. They don't put the bylines on there, so I won't release the names. But I can just say 
that there was a very, very good-looking writer who wrote the Athlon preview for Kansas football. So <laughs> if you guys go out there and pick that up on newsstands, I can just guarantee you that uh, the person who wrote that is very talented and also a good-looking dude. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Well, thank you so much for being on with us. Uh, man, you you really did awesome. We really appreciate that. Uh, for much, sure. Much more information than I think I've gotten the entire year we've been doing this show out of Kansas. So Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much for doing this for us. Um, if you've got anything, if you don't have any questions for us, we'll let you get out of here so we can do our closing thoughts. All right. Appreciate it, guys. All right, thank, thank, thank you. Thank you. All right, again, that was uh, Jesse Newell with the Kansas City Star. Uh, any guy, your final thoughts on anything, guys? I'll be able to say I'm pretty stoked for KU football, guys. I think, you know, it's obviously not going to be a huge turnaround, but with, with Meacham running the offense, with a, a new quarterback, I think we're going to see some of the, the turnover problems go away. As we talked about last year, just the inconsistency at quarterback, the killer turnovers that they had, especially on the short side of the field, just really killed them. Even when they got something going, they would, they would find a way to kind of trip over their own feet. They got some wide receivers. I'm pretty excited about the running backs. I know it, it may be a few years. I don't know. You know, like you said, Octavius Matthews is going to play kind of both positions. Mm-hmm. I didn't know if he was going to be kind of a feature back. But Dom Williams has me excited. I, I mean, I think there's really positive things to look forward to as KU football fan going forward. I think, honestly, I had him winning three games. Uh, that's, that's, that's where I was on them. Um, after kind of diving into it a little more, I think they could get to four. Um, I think the key point, honestly, I think the key one may be at Ohio, if they can pull that off. Cause I think there's, I, I think they're going to start two and oh, you got a central Michigan team that is going to be down more than it has been in years. Right. Uh, Southeast Missouri, I don't think has a chance at, at battling with them, especially with that offensive line at Kansas now, which is crazy for me to say about Kansas. Um, <laughs> But, yeah, if they can go – I mean, Ohio, you know, under Solich, they've been so consistent. Uh, just always a real good – kind of like a mini Kansas State. Just a, There's a real good culture he's developed there of consistency. I still say one of the biggest mistakes Nebraska made firing him. He's a hell of a coach. Um, he's also 72. Do you guys realize that? I didn't know he was up there that I, I saw that today. I was looking at something on Bill Snyder, and he was talking about coaches who are over 60 – and it said Bill Snyder is 77, but Solich is 72. I so that's how he close was, they are in age. I would have guessed he was probably mid-60s. I didn't yeah. know he was that old. Um, well, you know, they fired him after that nine-win season in Nebraska, and I still, for the, to this day, do not understand that move. Well, I, I would be interested to see what Ohio is bringing back. Because like you, I think that's kind of a swing game. Yeah, I'd have to look. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm going to say they're going to win all three of those games. And then, like you were talking about, I think they have a, a really good shot at knocking off Tech at home. I think West Virginia wins. gets them in Lawrence pretty pretty handily, um, even if that thing comes down. I think, honestly, I can't believe I'm saying this, I think West Virginia-Kansas could be a shootout. You're going to have two pretty solid offenses. Um, I just think West Virginia is a lot more developed into a point where they can do it more than Kansas. But uh, I really do think they can get Tech. I, I well, firmly believe they can get tech. And I think one good thing for them too is four out of the first five games are at home. If, mm-hmm. they, if they can just build a little momentum, exactly, and, and just kind of get things going, because I mean, they, the way they're playing, as far as playing hard and every down, and then adding better talent to that and better coaching to that, I mean, all those signs point towards you have to be doing better than we were last year. Well, and so. one thing I wanted to ask him, and I didn't get a chance to, because I was thinking about other questions I had at the time. Um, I kind of wonder if they're going to walk into that game and not. I'm not even suggesting they can win it. I'm just curious to see if they do build momentum. If they walk into that game at DKR with any kind of 
confidence um, after beating Texas last year. You know, if there's any kind of swagger to this team and they can play them again, saying, you know, we can beat this team, we've done it before. I think if, they, if that's going to happen, they're going to have to win maybe one or two road games before that because, mm-hmm. I mean, they've had such a hard time winning road games. So, I mean, I, I almost think they have to, like, beat Ohio and maybe, you know, and play close in the other away games just, just to kind of build confidence because mm-hmm. if, they, if they go to Ohio and lose, let's say, by two touchdowns and then, you know, they might have that oh crap you know when we go on the road we're really struggling so i i what to see last year the the texas game last year which is probably the greatest internet meme of all time but to me that was a broken texas team oh it was at, i'm not at, saying at it that, wasn't at that point you know the writing was on the wall for charlie strong obviously that was kind of the catalyst that that ended it but i i, I think that the players already knew that it was probably not going to end well and at that point it just kind of everything fell into place for for Kansas to be able to pull well, that off. I don't necessarily think the game kicked off that way. I think by I think at kickoff, I think Texas went up there and just kind of sleptwalked through it a little bit. And then by the time the second half rolled around, I think they, oh, crap, what are we going to do? And they just – I mean, it happens to a lot of teams. Yeah. Going to, to Ames, that'll happen to you. I mean, it happens all the time. But I'm just sitting here thinking to myself, there's a chance they could walk into DKR at, I don't know, four and six or something like that maybe. Or what would that be? One, let's see, uh, one, two, three, four – and then one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, so like four and five-ish somewhere in that ballpark. And I'm just thinking to myself, if they know they can already beat that team, I mean, regardless of what the circumstances were, they're already thinking to themselves, we can beat this team. And if they're into it in the first half and somehow, you know, I just – stranger things have happened. That's all I'm saying. Right. right. And, and yeah. when you know you've already beaten the team just last year, and it's – I mean, Texas is basically returning the same squad minus swoops. I mean, it's, you know, as far as just right in front – I mean, I guess they don't have uh, foreman either. Can, well, can so, you imagine how pumped up Texas is going to be for that game, though? Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure Texas. I mean, there's a, there's a good possibility Texas ends up beating them by 40. But talk I, about I just, the, the revenge game of all time. Yeah, know? I and, and God, you want to talk about what would happen if they did beat Texas again? My Lord. Well, you know, and, and last year he's talking about playing TCU close. I thought watching that Kansas TCU game last year, Kansas should have won that game. I felt, I felt, I felt like too. they kind of they kind of mm-hmm. fell apart at the end of the ball game. Kind of that whole mentality, you know. Whenever you struggle for a long time, it, you have to learn how to win games. Not mm-hmm. you know, you, you have to mm-hmm. believe in yourself and, and do those extra things to win the game versus just trying trying to win the game. So, which is what Texas has got to do. Right, right, exactly. And so, I mean, uh, I, I I was I, I thought last year they should probably should have won that game as well. I was mm-hmm. you know they they had a couple turnovers there right at the end that really killed them that could have put the game away. What what was the other one they were in close? Was it Baylor? I can't. There was another one they ran really close late to the. I think or the, what, or the Baylor game you're thinking of was against Iowa State. Yeah, but there was another game they were. It was somebody that wasn't like a marquee team, if I remember. It could have been Iowa State, maybe. I don't remember. It yeah, was, Iowa State was a was only a touchdown game at the end. Yeah, so maybe that's what it was. I was thinking of. There was a game. Yeah, there's a game last year. They were in it right at the end, and I remember thinking to myself, they had a shot at winning this game, and they just blew it at the end. Um, you know, I my I, the Duke two concerns I have. Well, I mean the the say the secondary is a given. I mean losing that that kind of talent, obviously. But linebacker concerned me too, and you brought that up. Um, you know that that's going to be tough in the Big Twelve to you. I mean, again though, you do have Dorrance Armstrong coming off the end, so that may speed up. Well, Daniel Wise in the middle. Yeah, that that could help. Um, I, I mean, you know, Big Twelve's got some pretty damn good offensive lines. So, you know, and again, I expect the league as a whole this year just to be better, flat-out better, period, across the board. Um, And as we start looking at some of these big non-conference matchups, honestly, well, I don't want to say too much yet, but I do think some of them look more winnable than they did last year. So, 
you know, I I expect the league to be a little better. We'll see what they do. But the Kansas team's going to be better. And I, I'm curious to see how much Meacham makes a difference with this offense too. Well, don't you think – it's good for the Big 12 as a whole when we're talking about – we have optimism in uh, Iowa State improving. We have optimism exactly. in Kansas improving. Mm-hmm. Really, the only team that's kind of trending downwards right now is, is Tech, and you know they'll eventually get back as well. Mm-hmm. It's good for the the conference when the floor is higher than it exactly. than it's been because I mean I was looking at something something earlier, but Kansas over the last since 2010, Kansas has the worst overall record in FBS at mm-hmm. 14 and 70. Well, that's what I was telling you guys. I thought I think there's a good possibility you could say they were the worst program in the FBS during the Weiss well, era they, and they, after. So they have been since 2010 for yeah, sure. So, but yeah, I mean. I think that the Big 12, obviously, up top is going to be really good this year. I think, you know, we've seen it from some of our riders. Just that middle that middle group of about four teams mm-hmm. is almost interchangeable. It's just really good competition right there in the middle. And then when you're talking about the bottom teams coming up as well, it, it, it bodes well for the Big 12 kind of going forward. Well, like we were saying the other day on it, I think I said it, but I don't remember what show we were doing. I was saying, you know, four through six, I think, or four yeah. through seven are pretty interchangeable. Um, I mean, uh, you really could, and, it, and a lot of people are going to have Texas about four, four to three in that ballpark. So, a lot of people um, have Texas at one. <laughs> yeah, I've seen that too. I just, I don't know, man. There's a, that's that's a lot of confidence in a coach because yeah. that's really the only difference. You got a coach. I mean, you can make an argument they won't be as good on offense unless Bouchelle just is a lot better all of a sudden. Well, so, another thing with Kansas too. When was the last time you could say? No matter who you are, you're going to have to go in there and play your butt off because mm-hmm. they're they're not going to they're not going to lie down. They're, they're, and then just do offense. I'm I'm anxious to see how explosive it is. I think it's going to be definitely they're going to put up more points than they did last year. Mm-hmm. So and then the way how hard they play, you know. And so I'm I, I can't remember the last time when I said whatever team goes into Lawrence to play, you're, you're not going to be taking your shoulder pads off at halftime. You're you're exactly. going you're going to you're going to have to work the entire game. They're going to make you work. Well, see, and that's what makes me interested in something. Like he had talked about, remember we talked about, I think we were just now talking about before we started the show how, you know, I was oh yeah, I was asking you guys is there any of the teams from the south area that play up there when it gets cold later in the year? I mean, you just start getting up there and it gets late in the afternoon and it's cold and you know, they're just it, sometimes it's hard to get these kids. And again, like we were talking about the other day, they're not stupid. You put film on, they're going to look at this team and think they're better than Kansas, most of these squads. So there's a good possibility, especially if they had a hard fought week the game before and a big one after, they just may not show up. And then God knows what happens. I mean, you end up with Texas last year, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, the, the, it wouldn't be absurd for them to all of a sudden knock off a Baylor uh, in, in Lawrence or anything. Like, I wouldn't be shocked. No, no, I wouldn't so, either. All right, guys. Well, I guess that about wraps up this show. If uh, is there anything else we need to get to before we get out of here? Well, just one thing I would say is just if you're a Kansas fan, you you got to be excited going into this year, and and hopefully, you know, it'll, it'll keep building because it seems like your the, the team and the school the university is gaining momentum, so it's exciting to watch for sure. Uh, just kind of us updates here. If you haven't seen on Twitter, we just recently released team handles. There's a an individual account on Twitter for each team, so. KU fans, go follow yours. I, I believe it's at Jayhawks underscore B12C. Mm-hmm. There is a, a writer that will be kind of handling that account, and we'll all from time to time hop on it as well. So you'll you'll have kind of your own dedicated coverage that you won't have to see so much of other teams. Obviously, still follow our main handle at Big XII Country. That's always interesting. Corey runs that most of the time, so it's pretty entertaining especially with all the trash talk between the different teams. Especially when I haven't slept for three days. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, you know, coming here in a couple of weeks, we'll have the website out. Brady kind of wrapped up the team pages and 
Uh, we still have a, a few things to work on on with it, and w- when it comes out, it probably won't be in its necessarily final form, but it'll be pretty dang close. So it'll be it's vastly superior to what we have right now. We're about to start, I think, beginning of August, maybe first week of August, we're going to start rolling out a lot more articles from our writers. It's kind of the launching point that I had set out for everybody. I would say that by this time next week, the, sh- the website should be out, right? Uh, or close to I'll make it, no I promises, mean... but first of <laughs> August is our cutoff, so probably so. Okay. Was, but, it, I, I mean, it's definitely in final stages, so okay. it'll be coming out, and we'll, we'll be going into full season mode, guys. It's it's here. Yeah, it's here. Yeah, Monday night we record our – as a Baylor we start with? Yes. yes. Baylor preview. Um, we'll start that. Since Kansas fans are listening, I'm not sure off the top of my head when we had Kansas down. I'll have to go look. But it I, seemed like it was later I'm going to say it's probably going to be later since we're just doing this show. Probably don't want to do back-to-back Kansas. Well, I think on the schedule it worked out that way anyway that yeah. I randomly wrote down that day. It, I think Kansas was – because I was trying to do it to where we split up teams so we wouldn't have, like, multiple shows in a row where we were doing the team. Um, there was something else I wanted to say while you were doing that. I was going to think of. Church or something? what it was. Uh, did you say church? Shirts. Oh, I was like, hell no. Um, uh, shirts. Atheist Corey. Uh, shirts. Yeah, I mean, I, I talked to her, but see, I have an idea too that we need to talk about off the air that I've added to this that I just thought of today. But yeah, it'll be part of the problem with that was she had an issue. She couldn't get to the office for the first couple of days this week, but they're, she's finishing up all of our tests. Uh, I guess, what do you call them, test uh, subjects Templates. or whatever, yeah, for us to look at. Uh, and then we got to pick one, and then we're done. I mean, I, she already had the back pretty much written up like I wanted. Uh, so it's just getting the, the logo on the front figured out. So <clears throat> we'll get those out. We'll give those away. Um, I The plan eventually, I'm hoping, is also involve like every team color, you know, like maybe a green one for Baylor, you know, so on and so forth. So, uh, anyway, that should be about everything. Anything else we need to let them know before we get out of here? No, I think it covers everything. All right, guys. Well, uh, I guess we'll talk to you guys pretty soon, Kansas fans. Maybe the preview. If you listen to all of the shows, I guess we'll see you guys uh, Monday then. Uh, That's it. Until next time, everybody say bye. Thanks, guys. See you guys.